This is the one with Robot Wars. Phil Jupiter's Death Metal. And unorthodox protrusions. It's called The Cannibalists. Here we go! Reviewing audiobooks now too, cause we love our Doctor Who. Encountering we're in time of dark, Daleks FaceTime and Glam Rock. Style of films are awful, that's the TARDIS way. We're a punk in a Mary's cane. It's cane with a K. Who back when? Reviewing all the poo there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Audiobook by audiobook, even those are gobbledygook. We'll, we'll review them all you see, so join us on this odyssey. It's who back when? Back when. Would you believe it? <laughs> Frankly, no. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode A019. 19? Hey up, everybody. <laughs> A019. <laughs> the Cannibalists. The Cannibalists. This is the first audiobook review, Doctor Who Big Finish audiobook review, that we have dropped since... Just check this. The 7th of August, 2016. Nice! (laughs) Just about two years. In fact, we're still in July when we're recording this review, but we will probably be in August or September when we drop it, so... Yeah, for reasons to be explained. Exactly. Very exciting stuff. (laughs) Who are we? I am Ponkin, and across the table sits none other than... The designated droid, Drew Backwen! Hello, Drew Backwen! Welcome to the audiobook reviews. Thanks. I'm actually <laughs> genuinely quite excited. Yeah, me too. <laughs> the saddest way possible. We should preface this by saying that this does not officially <laughs> signify a return to the audiobook reviews. Well, let's see how it goes. Oh, yeah, okay, that's true. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> but we have so much TV who to review that we're not necessarily going to focus all of our attention on, you know, completing the audiobook run. People are still waiting on that comic book channel. <laughs> they are. <laughs> <laughs> But we have had a lot of people write in and ask about the potential return of our audiobook reviews. And, well, as we just said, it's been two years since the last one. And because we've hinted at this uh, quite a few times on Who Back When already, because we're uh, in the midst of completing the script for our very own audiobook, our very own audio adventure, we figured there's never been a better time. Yeah, I need to bone up on what this format involves. And also we want to drop a few teases and hints at what's coming up, so... Yeah, we want to titillate you right up the wazoo. (laughs) (laughs) Is it working? Bing bong, future Leon here with a quick note just to say we've actually already finished the script. In fact, we finished it aeons ago and uh, just a bit of uh, editing and uh, a ton of Foley remains (laughs) before we can drop part one of our magnum opus. More about that later on, so stay tuned. Okay, ciao-ciao, bing bong. Shall we jump into a bite-sized chunk of who? Let's! (laughs) Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize, so take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview, this free-for-all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. The Eighth Doctor and his audiobook companion, Lucy Miller, arrive at the Haven. Some sort of seemingly abandoned and conveniently silent space metropolis, the Haven is host to but robot beings. On the one hand, there are the Assemblers, rather annoying, childish and naive metal monks, who praise PROTOCOL to the exclusion of all else. And on the other hand, THE MIGHTY TITUS and his band of cannibalists, punk rock marauders fucking it up for everyone. Thank PROTOCOL there's a poetry-spouting service droid stuck in the middle or we'd barely have a plot. 
Now the Doc must help this talented Tin Man find his heart before absolutely every last robot has a crack at grabbing Lucy's boots. <laughs> Be scow over. You, you are, are welcome. welcome. Aren't you just? <laughs> that was titillating. It was. Okie dokie. So how does this work at all? Because... I think I listened to your review of We're and Dawn just for giggles and fell asleep, so I really <laughs> know nothing about this channel. Here's the thing. For the longest time, Who Back When, the podcast that you're listening to, ladies and gents, dealt in plot point by plot point reviews of whatever it was we were discussing, be that a classic TV episode, a new Who episode, or indeed an audiobook. Which you might never have listened to, and therefore it might be useful in this format. But it's also, I don't want to shoot myself in the foot, and I know that there are a lot people who enjoyed these reviews and i certainly enjoyed recording them having those conversations but you could also make the argument that to listen to an audio format review of an audio format story a little Uh, otios yes so instead since then in the past two years we have progressed to a more free form style conversation format right and and uh, why don't we just do that however as this is an audio format we're talking about an audio format go and get yourself this audiobook it's not that expensive you'd be uh, doing big finish a solids <laughs> go to bigfinish.com look up the cannibalists it's well worth it well i mean <laughs> find out whether it is over the next 40 50 minutes yeah or Buy it, listen to it, and then listen to this review and find out if that you That makes agree. so much more sense. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, you know... You've done this before. We're not going to dictate how you lead your lives, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> do whatever you like. Yeah, be free to do what you want to do. <laughs> As a former podcast co-host might have put it, you do you. Yeah. Yeah. Real talk. <laughs> And he accused me of being all of or just all about catchphrases. <laughs> right, let's ju- should we jump into this? Yeah, let's do that. Where do you want to start? Well, I want to start, which is weird for an audio format, with the artwork because you can presumably see an excerpt of this image on whobackwhen.com. Indeed. And you'll see it on the Big Finish website. But I am so glad that I did not see the artwork before I listened to this serial. Because you imagined something completely different. I imagined great big hulking claw-covered pincer bearing terminator robots and what do we have on the cover of this artwork i don't have the artwork in front of me right now but i was thinking there's a little bit of movie version paranoid android oh a little bit yes they're all all sleek and smooth and rounded edges for me they look like nothing so much as the london 2012 mascots oh they do oh my goodness they really do yeah yeah now imagine them boning each other because that's what everyone was talking about the mascots (laughs) i made a note of this as well because presumably we only get to see two of them on the cover right and they're both i think there are three three but they're all pretty much identical exactly they're rounded they look like i would say the good guys let me bet those are the assemblers, because the oh. cannibalists, I, I made a note of this, so the cannibalists are described as, by Lucy, as, quote, a crossing between a biker gang and a cooking drawer. Yeah, but then the assemblers are described by Lucy as vacuum cleaners. What we see on the artwork is not neither. vacuum cleaners. And now, on top of that, there's the inference that the assemblers are huge, like, huge, because they refer to Lucy's height as truncated. I think that's only relative to the taller man in the archive spool, i.e. the VHS tape that they keep playing. Oh, really? So it's not compared to them? I Yeah, I don't think they've I'd... ever seen a human. They have no reference of what he likes. I mean, he could be projected on a screen, even. Vastly. Oh, I see. Because I, I figured, all right, so she says that she's five foot four. She's in heels. Having a, 
in heels, she her height is truncated. Thus, they must be gigantic. I certainly imagined the cannibalists yeah. as gigantic because, well, I'm going to skip into the first scene now. I'm not going to run through it plot point by plot point, but it starts off with a grisly, horrible, oh my goodness, horrifying death. Horrifying is the exact word I've used in my notes. Horrifying, as the chap's name is Diode, he is being disassembled alive. Yeah. And it's not the only time that we get to hear something like that in this. It's a two-episode arc, by the way. Yeah. Is that fewer than typically, by the way? I want to say yes. I think they were either two or four episode arcs, the ones that we reviewed. I think. Oh, it's So been, this is one of the so shorter long. ones. Yeah, certainly. And each part is half an hour long. So it, we're talking about one hour of which maybe, let's say, ten minutes. Not hyperbolic. Ten minutes. Just screaming. Yeah. Just robotic dismemberment yeah but these robots are perfectly sentient and they can feel pain so this is dreadful this is absolute this is horror porn yeah this is a nightmare in your earballs from minute two yeah because the first minute is all oh no save yourself oh but i can't possibly leave oh no go away you you flaming robot i'm gonna i'm gonna do the good thing and then they the cannibalists descend and it is the worst bit about that scene for me, is hearing the robot dementia. They essentially dismantle this robot and then they pluck out his memory circuits and then you hear, he goes from being like, oh yeah, you you just kill me already to who am I? What is my function? It is is genuinely nightmarish. It's horrifying. The same thing happens towards the end of the episode, I think, and then at the start of the second episode. And then again halfway through the second episode. Oh yeah, you're right. There is a high casualty rate in this serial. <laughs> and the strange thing to me is that much of the dialogue, and we need to talk about the amount of dialogue versus the amount of screaming because, <laughs> Jesus, yeah, anyway. Much of the dialogue to me felt like it was written for a very young audience. And much of the acting is done as though for a very young audience. But the screaming, the torment, is certainly not tr- appropriate for children. It's very incongruous. I was thinking whilst listening to it, Mere moments before you arrived at the uh, Who Back When Studios, that is it that thing where you can get a lower age rating for movies in the cinema if you don't show blood, or if it's like, oh, that's not a human being killed, it's an alien that looks exactly like a human, that sort of thing. Or if the artwork looks like toys you'd get out of a Happy Meal. Exactly. Or if you hear someone that sounds like a human, that (laughs) hurts like a human, and that effectively bleeds like a human, but who you know is a robot then that's not a problem either. Yeah, it's interesting because we just reviewed The Rebel Flesh. Yeah. And this is carnage, but it sort of reminded me of the beginning of that in that you had the flesh melting into the vat of acid at the very beginning of episode one. Yeah. Because I was trying to rack my brains for a parallel, and that is quite a close parallel, but it's not two minutes of screaming. No. It's just an arresting image. Let's leave the dialogue a bit for a while, because I don't want to... I don't want to dump all over this double feature right away. I, I Well, I don't want to spoil it too much, but I, I quite liked it overall. I mean, I've got no frame of reference, but, <laughs> but it, was, it was a decent hour. I, well, I will say, I've already got my score written down. I don't know if that score is going to change over the course of this review, but from the onset, it's above average. As in, it's above the, you know, the, up, the upper half. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but... Can we jump from that very first scene yeah. to what comes next? Because I had completely forgotten how incredibly amazing the intro theme is. Oh, the music? The music. 
Do you not love it? I love it. I want to live with that in my head. To just be falling through the space-time continuum. The vortex, yes. Just over and over again. It's beautiful. I don't remember exactly what it sounded like, but I do remember thinking that this is also not the best one of the Eighth Doctor Adventures, because it does change. And the very first one that we reviewed was Blood of the Daleks, and that one had a much darker theme, and it was even better. But this is great. It's like the... The classic, maybe the like sort of Tom Bakery theme, right? But it's oomphed up, you know. It's yeah, it's oomphed, but it's not overdone. Like with the new ones at the moment, we have like thunderclaps, exactly, and flamey, fiery furnaces. But this one, it's it's spectral. Yeah, and it draws you in and and takes your mind in weird directions. Nor is it super speed like Tenant. Yeah. And there aren't the time tr- team drums like <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Sometimes you do more with less. But not in business. Learn something more on your MBA. <laughs> Sorry, it's a tangent. <laughs> agile working. It's a fucking buzzword. <laughs> do some work. I work in an agile environment. I don't know what to, t- I don't know what to tell you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and how much do you get done, typically? <laughs> <laughs> not as much as people want me to get done. So this is my first encounter with an Eighth Doctor adventure in over 20 years. That's exactly my next point as well. I wanted to ask you, how do you feel about McGann? Well, it's quite hard because this is, as you say, a short serial, and a lot of the time he's running from one action scene to another. Yeah. For most of it, I didn't get much insight into the Doctor's character at all. I mean, there are some sort of universal Doctor points. He has a respect for life and sentience, and he's a magnanimous guy. But he does also threaten to disassemble them with his Sonic. Yes. He's not in the habit of making idle threats, or is he? I'm pretty sure he does in episode one but then in episode two he, he unleashes a furnace on them so oh yeah that's yeah, true i suppose maybe not yeah so he's yeah he's inconsistent they m- mention his clothes and i know from the comics that he's a guy who likes his garb when you listen to this were you picturing the tv movie eighth doctor or the um is it the oh time of the doctor death of the doctor day of the doctor day of the doctor bing bong that would be night of the doctor Okay, bing bong. The pre-50th... Exactly. The five eight, or six minutes like the sisterhood of... Bingo. Khan or Khan, whatever yeah. it is. Khan! Yeah. That little Eighth Doctor short. Which version of McGann's Doctor are you picturing? To be honest, I didn't really picture either. In a weird way, I spent a lot more time trying to imagine what the robots looked like. Okay. Because the scope for that is just... More, and I was trying to refine my image of what they were doing over the course of the episode. Oh, I didn't even tell you. I disagreed with your version of the what the robots looked like. Oh, yeah. What did you think they looked like? Uh, I'm sorry, I just cut you off very rudely there. Well, I hope it's with a good point. To me, the bad guys, the cannibalists, are person-sized. They're human-sized. Okay. Because they, they can't be crazy towering, but they should look like a patchwork, like a Frankensteinian patchwork of robot bits. And they do like an absorber loft of the robot kind. So, yeah, sort of, but not necessarily chubby. They're not rotund. To me, they seem more like sort of streamlined, rusty patchwork robots. Oh, I mean, right. they, I they grab a walking junk. They like grab her boobs nonstop. So you wouldn't want someone that's like three meters tall like, grabbing her boobs. You picture someone that's you know boob height. But then the good guys, to me, they're tiny. One of them does also grab Lucy's boobs. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Sends a pincer her way. Yeah. Yeah. But then she's also extremely truncated. Yeah, also. You're right. Sorry, I interrupted you. You were on an eighth Doctor streak. I'm sure I had very little left. (laughs) (laughs) 
would you like to see slash hear more of the Eighth Doctor? Like, what if there were an Eighth Doctor spin-off? In my mind, like, that's the only Doctor I'd make an exception for. Like, that's how an Eighth Doctor spin-off. Oh, what, would you be interested new in new TV episodes? Yes. Yeah. I mean, why not? The guy didn't really get a fair crack at it. Yeah. He's no older than Capaldi is, I'm Certainly not. Sure, so. I don't think so. Yeah. Sorry, Capaldi. Yeah, why not? Do you, well, I mean, that's going to sort of undermine the, uh, the new gender they're going with. But <laughs> <laughs> apart from that. <laughs> well, I didn't mean it like that. I mean, I don't... Yeah, of course you didn't. But I love McGann, probably largely for, because of Withnell and I. Yeah. But McGann is amazing, and his doctor is really good, and uh, I really like him. I think he does a fantastic job in this. Would you agree that this episode wasn't particularly revealing as No, you're to, right. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to an episode... This was maybe a maybe this was also two parter actually now that I think about it called Human Resources which was a Cyberman episode okay classic Cyberman like Mondasian Cyberman I don't remember much about it but I do remember it being fantastic and him being tremendous How did you feel about Lucy Miller Well mm-hmm. not much to go on we're 19 episodes in that she's the same companion from yeah. A001 to now and yeah. beyond so their relationship must be fairly mature at this point. Only for the Eighth Doctor Adventures, though, as far as I'm aware. So the other Eighth Doctor series, she's not a part of, I think. Yeah. But still, she's had a good run as a companion. Oh, yeah. but in She's canon. Yeah. She's mentioned in that six-minute whatever. Is she? Yeah, when he's, when he's like, transforming, uh, regenerating, I mean, and he's listing all of his companions, she's one of them. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nevertheless, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's bolshy. Yeah. I found it hard to not imagine Rose, really. Oh, that's interesting. Because I know she's blonde and not that tall. And, and a little chavvy? A little bit. And bolshy, really. Okay. That's all I got. She's bolshy. And sometimes she'll make a ludicrous threat that immediately proves disastrous. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I guess she's not usually ineffective. And well, she's better than... Rory's been most of the time, but no, I I, I know very little more about her now than I did before. I I guess maybe this isn't the best episode to introduce either character. Yeah, I I liked her less in this episode than I remember liking her in the previous ones. Okay. Could you tell, because I could, I remember JD telling me off about this, I could never tell where she was from, but it is mentioned in prior episodes where she's from. Could you tell from her accent where she was from? Goodness, I don't know. Um, Derby? Blackpool. Blackpool? Yeah. Oh, well, I was... City of Lights. Hmm. I was probably only 150 miles out. (laughs) Wow, Blackpool. Well, I mean, she's doing a good job of making herself comprehensible. So, you know, she's she's gravitating towards the centre of the country, where I believe you'll find Derby. Oh. Yes. Oh, that's not a coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, the two leads, they're functional. Okay. What about the other actors? The robots. Well. So here we go. There is one guy who we've seen in the news. In the news? Phil Davis. Phil Davis. Wait, we've seen him in the news. He appears in Fires of Pompeii. That's what I mean. Oh, I was thinking news as in like BBC News. (laughs) Oh, oh, right. (laughs) Like we've seen him in the news recently. No, no, no. His his reputation is untarnished. (laughs) No, there have been no accusations. Phil Davis is still good for work. <laughs> Call his agent. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> and Phil, if you're listening, come on the show. 
Yeah, he was in Fires of Pompeii. I neglected to write down the name of his character. Lucius, I believe. He's the pyrovile stooge, essentially. Oh, all right. Okay. Getting everyone into Pompeii. He has also been in the first ever episode of Sherlock. Really? As the creepy cabbie Jeff. No. Yeah, that's him. That is him. You're right, it is him. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. It's very cool. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap. There. He's that's creepy as balls. He loves to be a villain. And I think he does the best job in this episode. He does, yeah. He is having a whale of a time. He is just crushing every scene. Yeah. He, he just dominates. I absolutely agree with you. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's making a go of it. He's just like, no, fuck it. This is a script. I'm going to read it. <laughs> I'm going to have fun with it. Whereas the biggest name on the list, one might argue, Phil Jupitus. Yes. Who plays Servo. Servo, who is the poetry-spanting droid, right? As indeed Phil Jupitus began his career as a performance poet. Really? Yes, Porky the Poet. Oh, I didn't know that. In the 80s, he toured with Madness. That's interesting. I didn't... What? Yeah. He opened for Madness with his Porky the Poetry Act. All right, this is something to YouTube after this recording. (laughs) Okay, I I wasn't aware of that, but I will say... After the first episode, when they're like, oh, and this character was played by blah, blah, and this character was played by so-and-so, and and then they get to, Servo was played by Phil Jupitus. And then you sit bolt upright and think, wait, 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 wait. that was Phil Jupitus? Because I did not recognize Phil Jupitus in that role. Not even in the second part, when that came up, as in when he came up, I was like, I know that this is Phil Jupitus. It did not sound like Phil Jupitus to me. Well, I mean, his voice is put through a bit of a filter to make it more robotic. But he has a certain charisma that, you know, recognizable charisma. I did not recognize it in this. Is that good? Maybe that's actually high praise. He really immersed himself in the role of Servo. I don't know. Are you not just imagining the rather large gentleman, but in your mind's eye, there's already been established a sort of shrinking, diminutive, diminutive, craven robot hiding in the shadows? No, I don't think so. I'm comparing... His voice from QI and other things that I've seen him on to Servo. I see, see, I don't know. I, I started off thinking maybe this is criticism that, that he didn't really give it his all, but maybe he was just doing a fantastic job. He was very consistent. He was. Certainly. At no point did he sound like Phil Jupiter. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Nor did, we should point out, any of the other actors. Well done. Well done. Well done. <laughs> well, bravo. We have more actors with uh, connections here. Oh, go for it. Be that, JD. <laughs> Another Doctor Who uh, connection. Diode was played by Nigel Lambert. In fact, Diode and, I can't really read, Dom- Domison? Domission? Domission. Domission, thank you. Uh, I can't really read. Oh, I just learned to read. Uh, very- similar Domission. <laughs> very small font, not wearing glasses. Nigel Lambert, he was in the fourth Doctor serial, The Leisure Hive. And he also, not a Doctor Who connection, he also voiced Mr. Curry in the original Paddington Bear series. Oh, cool. Yeah, so the him. same voice. Was Dio, just leave me in the Domission. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty good. Well, I mean, you just did the same thing, so <laughs> bravo, bravo, oh, both of you. What a range. <laughs> Drew back when I'm Nigel Lambert. Stupendous <laughs> voice acting from both. <laughs> Everyone else is sort of, okay, they're big Finnish actors, but then there's one person whom we have encountered on Who Back When before, namely Beth Chalmers, who played... <laughs> Who's El- that acting? Beth Chalmers. <laughs> <laughs> she was elevator voice. Yes, yeah, going she, up. Yeah, she was the lift, but she is... A bit of a big Finnish legend. 
I remember JD talking about her. She has played the mother of four different companions in big Finnish audio dramas. This seems to be like a niche that she has targeted. That's weird. Right? And we have previously encountered her in two episodes, namely Orbis, which was, and Wirren Dawn. Ah, brilliant! <laughs> in which she played the queen. So, oh. yeah, there you go. Matriarchs all around. Exactly. This was also, it was written by Jonathan Morris. Was that his name, Jonathan Morris? Yes. Yeah. Oh, do you have stuff about him? No, what's he done? Shit tons. He has written a number of novels uh, and a TARDIS load of audio adventures, uh, including a couple that we've discussed on the show already. Namely, Max Warp, which JD loved, mm-hmm. and Hot House, which JD hated. <laughs> oh, yes, and I know why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Living plants. That is why he left the show. Very possibly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, JD, if you're listening, we miss you. Yeah. Hope, you hope you're well. We only did this because we finally just gave up on you coming back. <laughs> We gave you two years. Yeah. <laughs> you had your chance. <laughs> what do you want to take it from here? I'm sorry, I've been babbling over here. I would like to address about 30% of the dialogue. By which I mean, protocol be praised. Protocol, protocol. Oh, it drives me insane. Oh, I mean, protocol be praised is a great phrase. As is death metal, by the way. Yes. And the way that that transforms from death metal, death metal, to metal death, metal death, metal death. Yeah. So you were saying about the dialogue. Yeah, the obvious divine invocations. Yeah. And, I mean, they just repeated it so much. So much. I know they're supposed to be sequestered away and driving themselves mad, but it just just ended up detracting from the imagination that you could have fitted into an hour. Did you do a, in any way, religious reading of it? Oh, 100%. So let's hear it. And, and, oh, the also, religious reading. and also, does it tally with, because you have provided that viewpoint on New Who episodes, TV episodes. I'm not going to get super religious and deep about it. No, no, but oh, it, okay. it has been brought up by Moffat in scripts, right? I guess criticism of religion. Well, this time the Eighth Doctor actually comes out on side of it in a sort of exactly. general way. Yeah. And says anything that gives people courage and strength and hope is not to be denigrated necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. There is that. The religious parallel also falls down because the robots thrown into the forest are going, Protocol preservers! Protocol! And they just die, whereas Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were protected in the fiery furnace. So, you know. This is, this is all going over my head. I don't, I, I'm not aware. Book of Daniel. Okay. All right, cool. But yeah, I wouldn't have minded so much except the mindless repetition. I mean, they made some variations on it, some... They had about seven or eight phrases by the end of it, but they didn't really go anywhere with it. Okay. What was the point of it? Why did they repeat it so, so much? I think they just... My view of this is that that's not the only thing that was repeated. A lot of this script was repetitive. Everything that the cannibalists said could probably be boiled down to two or three sentiments, and then that took up maybe ten minutes of, you know, sixty you have the protocol be praised that takes up let's say 5 minutes of the 60 you have all the screaming constant screaming and torment that takes up another 10 or whatever yeah. in the end you have you have about 5 goes of him going i'm the mighty titus tear his synaptic relay that's my point you yeah. have tons of that this script is oh i don't want to criticize it but okay here's the thing before we press record we went online and thought you know what Maybe it's possible to find the actual script. And I was very curious about this because, frankly, I want to do a word count on this script. 
And the reason I want to do a word count is because we are writing our own scripts. And it's approaching 30,000 words. Exactly. And this, I think, is nowhere near that. And yet it's an hour. Exactly my point! Which is what we're aiming for. (laughs) So So are we going to take... Two hours or, or three hours? Well, I, we I can cut out all the rude bits and have it done in eight minutes. I <laughs> <laughs> we are very nearly done with this thing. I mean, I, we wouldn't just record this on a whim. <laughs> the focus is entirely different. Like, the weight in this one is set on Foley and on action. Yeah. And on torture porn. <laughs> and, yeah. and Very little of that in ours. And in ours, it's just dialogue. Obviously, there's action in it. I mean, there's something that happens. There is a plot that is driven forward, but it is driven forward largely with a focus on dialogue and at least attempted witticisms. <laughs> yeah. And it baffled me listening to this one-hour double feature going, but you didn't write anything. <laughs> <laughs> What's your secret, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it surely didn't take them four months. Jonathan Morris. <laughs> Don't tell people that. Yes, we've spent a long time on this. Pity us. Pity (laughs) our attempt. (laughs) What we should tell people is that, actually, this is just something we knocked out over like a weekend. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then people will be really impressed. (laughs) Okay, I have a question about the Doctor-Companion interaction. Oh, let's hear it. Are they always so irritable? They don't seem like they get on. Oh, that's... That's a wonderful observation. I think... Maybe yes. Really? Yeah. Why is, why so. is he keeping her on? But there are lots of, like, there are little milestones in their relationship at which they bond over something. Okay. Uh, be that some sort of shared morality or being the only two, either the only two bipeds around or the only two who understand, a, a, I guess, some bands or a... Proximity Vulg- counts for a vulgar lot. joke or something like that, whereas the aliens or the robots around don't get it. Uh-huh. You know, that sort of thing. Not but sharing so, anatomy. Yeah. No. Oh, actually, that that's a... Did you catch the... Hang on. I made a note of it. I made a note of it. I made a note of it. In part two, yes. Minerva scans him and yes. says that he contains... Human genetic material. Yeah. Yeah. That's TV doctor. Yeah. The fan base is livid. I, it must be, right? <laughs> Unless that's the load that he swallowed before he stepped out of the toilet. Oh. <laughs> that's why. Although she wouldn't be so irritable, surely. Ah, whatever. Okay, yeah. So, all right. Maybe it's a little bit of Lucy Miller in him. That's what, Yeah, that's what I'm saying, yeah. definitely. What I'm saying is that they kissed, and there's a little bit of a DNA on his lips. <laughs> yeah. Just a trace. Apologies. Okay, another point is that even in an audio book, yeah. where you don't have to stage any scenery, you don't have to dress any sets, still Doctor Who gravitates towards endless pitch black corridors. <laughs> You're so right. I didn't think about that. Like That's just its milieu. That is where Doctor <laughs> Who is at home. I mean, it must, it must be fairly difficult to take it to new places when you are writing for it like this, and you must have imbibed and ingested so much Doctor Who that you just end up reproducing. This chap has written Doctor Who novels. He has spent a lot of time penning these stories. Yeah. It's absurd. (laughs) (laughs) Why can't we do that? (laughs) Is there a single corridor? Yeah, there is one corridor. There's one corridor in our audiobook. Oh, is? Yes, there is. Yes, there there is. is. But only one. 
as far as I can remember right now. Oh, you can love it, Podcast Land. Shit, we need to ride in more corridors. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel that there was a little bit of a life will find a way element to this? Oh, very much so. This is part two, I guess. There's a lot of that Jurassic Park, life will find a way, yada, yada, yada. There's also a lot of Matrix. Uh, this has all happened before. It follows Oh, that made you think of the Matrix. Reset it, and then you will do the same thing because you are programmed to live a certain way. Oh, it made me think of The Good Place. Except one person who reaches sentience and basically Servo is Neo. Uh, sorry, The Good Place. What's The Good Place? The Good Place is the be- best thing Netflix has ever done. Oh, I've not seen that. What's that? It's got Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. You had me at Ted Danson, and I know that's the last thing you said. <laughs> <laughs> and it's marvellous and extremely bingeable. Mike Sher does it, the same guy who did Parks and Rec, was involved in the American office. Wait, this is the best thing that Netflix has ever uh, it's produced? It's fantastic. It's better than Stranger Things? I haven't seen Stranger Things. Is it better than Casa de Papel? I haven't seen Casa de Papel. Fucking watch Casa de Papel. Dude. Okay, okay, so it's the best thing I've ever seen on Netflix. <laughs> but, nonetheless... I fully stand by its objective quality. It is great stuff. And yes, there's some resetting in that as well. Also, Heaven Sent. Yes. Yes. Well done. Also, P.S. I hear Dark. Netflix's Dark is really good. Okay. Yeah. German Netflix series. Hmm. I'll be sure to listen to the Netflix Dark podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we've mentioned all the Foley work. It is good Foley work, isn't it? It is good Foley work. I mean, these guys know what they're doing. This, This was utter junkyard chaos yeah it was a cacophony and it was it it was engrossing immersive yeah a hundred percent not just the foley work also a lot of the editing was gorgeously done yeah there was one transition in particular that i noted down and this was i want to say this was in part one possibly actually at the very very start i know i can't really remember But there was a very nice transition between scenes whereby we were hearing the doctor talk to Lucy and then mid-sentence it cut to very clearly the same conversation, but it was over a speaker. Yeah. And even though it's just a soundscape that you're, you're, you know, absorbing, suddenly you feel a distance from the characters, you know that someone's observing them. It's beautiful. And then when you segue to the next scene, it's really satisfying. (laughs) Yeah. Because you don't have to have the pause, you are just taken across the space station. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Oh, Were you also thinking, like, oh, maybe we could do something like that. Maybe we could, oh, we could absolutely cut it. That's why I listen to this, for tips. Big finish, I hope you're listening, by the way, because we're about to send you an audition tape, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Slash, we're coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) We'll never surrender. Oh, that was another thing I was going to ask. Are the voices always this exaggerated and silly? No, I don't think so. And that's why I specifically thought that this episode felt like it was written for slash acted for a younger audience. Right. There there were, I do remember a few exaggerated, overly theatrical characters. Horror, glam rock, surely. Uh, And it stars Wilf. Cribbins be praised. That was another thing. Okay. At one point where they're going, Protocol, it just reminded me of the little green men in Toy Story going, The Claw. Ooh. It was... (laughs) So, yeah, it was quite childish. It was a little bit. Can I pull out a soundbite? Please do. I've only made a note of one. And it's not even an important one, but it is kind of a fun segue because we have part one, 11 minutes and 35 seconds in... 
Ooh. Which is the catchphrase of the TV show The Chase. <laughs> the quiz show The Chase. Uh-huh. Bring it home. Bring it home, Leon. Which is hosted by... Bradley Walsh. Who is going to be a companion of the... 13th Doctor. That's right. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Eventually, the Doctor universe will encompass everything. Okay, what did you think of Survey's poetry? This is being acted by a performance poet. Yeah, but it's not poetry that he's written. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> the hexadecimal machine code versions of the poems. The ones that rhymed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good line. That's a good line, but using that th- that gimmick felt obvious. I did not remember this. I listened to this episode two years ago, this audiobook two years ago, and I had forgotten everything about it pretty much. But when that came up, I was like, oh, he's clearly going to say 101-1001. And it wasn't yeah. binary, it was hexadecimal, but, you know, same joke. And so that felt a little obvious. And the poems themselves... Childish, again. Clearly for a child audience, right? Yeah. Yeah. What about the rest of the structure? The, the cold open, the cliffhanger, or the cliffhangers. There are two of them. Doppelhangers. Uh, and the <laughs> nice. the crescendo, the the ending, the effectively still frame high five at the end, etc. How does that match up to a classic or new Who episode, an actual visual Doctor Who episode? Well, again, I have no audio frame of reference. Okay, compare it not to audio. Compare it to TV Doctor Who. I wonder how it would stand up as an episode. I mean, do audio adventures lend themselves to just action sequences? I know you denigrated We're and Dawn for being just action. Yeah, and I, I want to take back so many things that I've said about... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this isn't just action. No, it's not. In, actually, in part two, there, are, there is quite a, not lull, but a chance to breathe. Mm-hmm. Lucy and Servo even have a bit of a chat, although then there's some more poetry. Hmm. I mean... At no point was I bored. Okay. I can say that much. But don't you feel that an audiobook should just be... It's almost like a cartoon. It, it should be able to do everything of a TV episode and more because you're not limited by budget. You can write whatever you want to. Yeah. It felt like these guys crept onto the set of Deep Space Nine after the series had finished. Like, <laughs> can we use this? Okay, great. We'll just be an hour. So, yeah. I mean, it didn't exactly expand my horizons. <laughs> I, th- I think that's all I can say, really. What did you think? I thought that much of the structure was surprising, was odd. The cold open is incredibly long. Like, it's super long. Mm-hmm. And 90% of that cold open is just screaming. Yeah. The um, ending on the vulgar joke of, oh, and your uh, <clears throat> odd protrusions or whatever it is he says. Oh, unorthodox protrusions, yeah. Cracking norks, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just not entirely convinced by the structure of it. It yeah. was too repetitive, basically. Mm. I mean, Get I'm glad hunted. it wasn't more than two episodes. Yeah, that's right. Because there was enough padding. Yeah. Even, I mean, also, that's another question I have, and sorry to be Could this asking be a one episode basic or? format questions, is that the first minute and a half of episode two was a direct repeat of the end of episode one. Is that something they do to ground you in the new episode in case you don't listen for a week or what? Or maybe, maybe yes. Okay. It's not presented as a previously on, but you certainly start a little bit ahead of the the conclusion of part one, or right. of the 
prior episodes. Yeah. But you're also not limited to if you haven't listened to this for a week. You would buy this as a direct download or as a CD. You're not limited to, you know, next week on Big Finish's Doctor Who's Eighth Doctor Adventures. Yeah, so why do you have to sit through that extra minute? I don't know. Mm. Padding, I guess. Mm. In some cases, it might be worth it, though. There's never a previously on Doctor Who... So if if it's a four-episode arc, the fourth episode isn't going to start with a synopsis, effectively, of parts one, two, and three. It will start with the end of part three. Yeah. So the assumption must be that you're caught up and you, that you know everything. But maybe the idea is, you know, get in the mindset, get, you know, get in the mood for this scene. It took you a minute to swap CDs around, so... Here, let's get your mojo flowing again. Okay. Sort of thing. Yeah. I have a couple more notes. Oh, let's hear them. One is actually to do with the editing, which is mm-hmm. the chase is on indeed. There is a lot of chasing. I think in part two especially, well, actually, I've got 2150. This must be part one when Lucy is with the assemblers in the spire. Okay. And they're panicking because Titus, Mighty Titus, is right outside. And they're all gasping and panting. They're going, they're robots. They're not breathing. Could you, would you not have said to the actors, can you stop with, because they don't have lungs or airways. No, the director will probably have told them to up that, don't you think? Possibly, but it, unfortunately, I caught that and it ruined the scene for me. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't think about that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, later on, 9.20 in part two, robots panting after running away. I think we'll be safe here for a moment. So what do you suggest we do now? Guys. <laughs> but they're also, I mean, they're, they're screaming and why would robots do that? If they can feel pain, maybe they've also been programmed to, I mean, why would you program a robot to feel pain? So why would, maybe you've also programmed them to mimic other human behavior? Yeah, very possibly. They're just mm. going on these archive spools. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe. I, I, I don't know. I'm just saying maybe. What's your other note? My other note is that towards the end of part two, Servo is basically the the new master builder of robots. Yeah. And he is the augur of the coming Servo race. And everyone will be essentially made in his image. Everyone's going to be a poet. Yeah. A terrible poet. He's unique. He's a freak, an aberration, a miracle. A poor old diode who sacrificed himself for Servo at the beginning of the serial, just like Servo is trying to do now. Mm-hmm. S- Servo's like... Yes, I, I, I am unique. Yes, that's right. That's, that's exactly right. That's it. You, you, didn't, you didn't meet the Dio, did is you? The Great. Only, he was awful. Is the only unique thing about him that he writes poetry? Well, it I, is, isn't it? Because Dio a, didn't write poetry that we know of. I took it in a broader sense to be like, and, and it's a bit also fuzzy, the concept of free will in this episode, because there's an error in the programming and robots develop free will. Mostly they become cannibalists. Yeah. And there's no sort of critical thought there. It's almost like they're just programmed in a different way. Yeah. They just have one character type and they express it to the maximum. Whereas Servo is supposed to be different in that he actually has a sort of moral, ethical process going on. And he definitely shares that with Diode. And I think that's a far better basis for that than writing some terrible childish poetry. I look at the stars and feel small and then I look at them again and feel big. Yeah, I agree with you. So yeah, it's not great. I think that's a very good point. Oh, that's Poor old the, Diode. It's almost tra- it's tragically good. Oh. Hmm. But I do like Titus' cynicism and then nihilism. I did not see that coming at the end of the episode. 
I mean, I don't want to spoil it. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. But there are a couple of twists in this and a couple of clever devices, which I did like. I just thought of something. I have a question for you. Yeah. Okay, first off, a question in case I misremember so that you can clarify what happens in this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. The resetting of everything, the erasure of everyone's memory, and probably the dismantling of all of the robots as well, does that require a human voice? No. No? It doesn't. It's Minerva who who does it, but does she not do that because she has been ordered by the Doctor's voice? That is true. They impersonate him Exactly. So how have the prior cycles reset? Yeah, that's not very consistent. Yes, everybody impersonates the doctor rather than just ordering her about exactly but so either humans have been there before or someone figured out that they could impersonate the voice in the recording oh maybe Maybe. i mean there's a previous there's a few previous ones played at the end where the assemblers essentially just say we're going to do it we're going to reset yeah but she wouldn't listen to them maybe she does oh i feel like this is potentially a plot hole yeah i didn't think about it until just now no you're right nonsense and i liked the fact that they did impersonate him oh me too because that was another twist although the first time that it happened and we then afterwards we cut to real him and yeah. they they're locked behind uh isn't an airlock maybe it's, it's actually it's a deadlocked door isn't it yeah only when he says oh and they they're imitating my voice patterns only then did i understand oh right so the voice of mcgann that we heard a moment ago wasn't mcgann and then cons- the following versions of impersonating his voice, they sound kind of robotic, but that first time sounds exactly like him. Okay. I thought. So I didn't understand that at first. I, th- that, that's a bit that maybe required a little bit of extra emphasis for the stupid ones in the audience, i.e. me. Yeah. For the bloodthirsty children, this is obviously pitched at. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the ones who enjoy jokes about grabbing boobies. Yeah. The ones who like torture porn and lack of consent. You know, the children of today. Sorry, the children of... When was this written? It was recorded in 2008, published in 2009. It's never been more timely. Yeah. Yeah, but I did like the callback explanation of why Servo survived, because I was trying to think of it, and I couldn't, and it was right there, and it was made perfect sense. I got it. Oh, you did get it? Yeah, I saw that coming. Oh, okay. Because he's... But but mainly because Also, you've heard it three times two years ago. I have at least heard it once. Yeah. Yeah, actually, probably at least twice. But... No, you're right. You're right. Maybe that was subconscious. But it seemed like he's the good guy. He's the hero. This is like a kid's story that we're listening to. They're not going to kill the, the hero. Though I'd completely forgot. Thank you for bringing up Diode. I'd completely forgotten about Diode. Mm. Well, they, they could have also done like, hey, if he makes a whole spiel of if you live on in the memory of another, then you live on. So yes, he could then have... Then you re- haven't been dismantled. Then he could reassemble diode based on his memory of him yeah minerva could definitely pull that out of his neural banks so do that write that into it yeah but then he has to share his newfound kingdom oh he's gonna rick and morty this oh well he's gonna rick and rick this he's beth's ex-boyfriend is that is that i'm thinking of with the the kingdom or is it summer's ex-boyfriend uh it's beth's it's beth's Yes. Oh, maybe. Oh, dear. Oh, no, it I is. I don't want to be the next human to find that space station. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ratings? Let's. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la, 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 la. Ratings. So what do you got? Okay, let's start off by saying, obviously, as we said, we both... Okay, I'll speak for myself. I certainly listened to this... 
with a very specific thing in, in the back of my mind, namely the fact that we are on the precipice of having completed our first joint audiobook effort, our first magnum opus. And therefore, listening to it partly in the form of research, partly in the form of not only judging the audiobook, I mean, that's why we're here. We're here to judge it either favorably or, or not, but also judging the work that we are doing off the record. And I, I found for that reason that certain parts of The Cannibalists were possibly more impressive to me now than they were two years ago. Right. And other aspects were possibly less so. We've already hinted at this. The script itself is very different from what you and I have been writing. Very different. Yes. It's slight rather than florid. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think the main reason for that is that it, it's structured as a kid's story. Therefore, it doesn't need much plot. It doesn't need profound characters and it doesn't need incredibly elaborate dialogue. And for that reason, unfortunately, it's not geared towards me. Yeah. And this is not to say that it is poorly written or anything like that, but it is not written for me. And as a consequence, I am not as impressed by the script. I would be more impressed if I were younger or if I had been expecting uh, something for a younger audience. Right. However, on the production side of it, oh my goodness, the soundscapes, the foley work, the, the actual production and the much of the acting, not all of the acting, because some of it was, again quite childish. I'm clearly subjective. I'm, I'm adding so many caveats to this. <laughs> like, I'm, no, Leon, speak for us all. I'm approaching this from a very subjective and possibly temporary point of view. That is... Isn't that how we all approach everything? Not necessarily. There are things that I loved as a kid and that I love today, not because I would love it as much if I encountered it for the first time today, but because I know that I loved it as a kid. Okay. And I don't... Like, this is not something that I encountered as a kid. And as a kid, I'm, I think I would have disliked aspects of it that are completely un inappropriate for children. Uh, I don't know, I was a bit of a pretentious kid. Maybe I would have disliked a few of the dialogues <laughs> as well. In, in general, this is not what I was expecting. And therefore, I'm, it's a teeny tiny bit of a disappointment to me in the writing department. So what I, what I have done is I've split up my rating into parts and I've got an average of them. For the script, bear in mind, this is on a scale from zero to five. Five being the absolute best, 0, 0.0 being the absolute worst. Script, oh shit, please tell me if I should bleep this. I'm giving the script a 1.8. Wow. Didn't need to be a two-parter, basically. And if you just truncated all of the screaming, then it would no longer have been a two-parter. Yeah. That's basically what I'm, what I'm criticizing. <laughs> right, right. The story, I'm giving two out of five. Acting, I'm giving three out of five. Foley slash production in general, four out of five. Right. Editing, three out of five for an average of 2.76. Wow, that's Or 2.8, if, if you will. You basically traversed the entirety of Aristotle's poetics. <laughs> you went from mythos, story, to opsis, spectacle, <laughs> melos, melody. My goodness. This is what he had in mind, I think you'll agree. Yes, this is what Aristotle <laughs> was building towards before he was tragically taken from us. Too young, too take, young. Take that, Aristotle. <laughs> <laughs> We've said most of this about how it's difficult for me to rate. The Eighth Doctor, I get a bit of him. His companion's perky. The robots are one-dimensional. I would like some differentiation. I did love Titus's performance. That is oh, one of the ages. The best. And 
It's sleek, fast, visceral. It's not particularly deep, but I'm going to give it a 3.1. 3.1? All right. Are you inspired to listen to more audiobook adventures? I wouldn't mind it. Fantastic. In that case, I will send you a, uh, a couple tips <laughs> of which ones to get from bigfinish.com that I remember liking tremendously. Okay. I have a surprise for you. Oh, goody. What? On Friday, the 12th of August, 2016, at 8.42 p.m. Yes. BST. Okay. Wow, this is specific. We received a listener mini for this episode. Oh, wow! <laughs> wow! Fantastic! <laughs> listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Oh, that is fan service right there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I hope they're still alive. Oh, my goodness. This... <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. This comes from... Chris Zarella. Hello, Chris. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> don't know if you're still listening. I hope you don't hold a grudge for not reading your, <laughs> your mini for two years. <laughs> Chris says, First off, Lucy suffers from long-term memory loss. She seems genuinely amazed to be on a space station despite her trips to one in Max Warp. I don't like, continues Chris, that Doc and Lucy keep getting separated. They are more fun when they are together. But this is a trope that happens all the time in Doctor Who, so I don't think it will end anytime soon. Chris continues, I liked the robots, and, pardon the pun, but their characters felt well fleshed out. (laughs) Zing! The voice acting was very well done, even if they underutilized Beth Chalmers as the voice of the elevator. Mm. Maybe they have her stuck in the Katerina Olsen bondage closet now. Oh, I had forgotten about the bondage closets. I don't know if you ever listened to any of the... Sorry to interrupt your listening mini, Chris, but Drew, I don't know if you ever listened to our audiobook reviews. Uh, No, you didn't, aside from... Just we're indoors. Yeah. We had the bondage closet, the Katerina Olsen bondage... Oh, man. Uh, Chris Arilla goes on, I like the concept of the robots evolving, but if having free will and a conscious was the evolution, then Servo was not alone in that. The cannibalists have developed rage and the desire for revenge. Domitian, Probus, and Macronus all have fear, hope, and faith, and religion. Protocol Protocol be praised! And are capable of compassion and self-sacrifice. So why is Servo the special one? Because he writes poetry. To me, it sounds like he is the one with extra time on his hands, or whatever appendages the robots have, to Mm. develop a hobby. Chris concludes, the only one that doesn't seem to have evolved is Minerva, who still operates like a machine to the point of keeping Servo's mind after the reboot because of a technicality. Mm. Despite all the plot holes, I did enjoy the cannibalists, just not as much as some others. 2.9. I also marked it down because their chanting death metal got my hopes up that they'd play or at least make reference to some in in flames, cannibal corpse, dark tranquility, or behemoth. (laughs) But that never panned out, and I was disappointed. Fantastic mini Chris Z. (laughs) Chris Z for Zing. (laughs) (laughs) So is it that the Doctor is just an esthete? Because isn't that the eighth's bag? I guess so. He's like, poetry, how romantic. You're my favourite. Sorry, I'm I'm straining my optical nerves, trying to look at my medulla oblongata. (laughs) uh, Because I'm trying to remember if any other Doctors have that particular character trait. I don't know. Maybe that is just the eighth. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so before we wrap this up, 
we've oh my goodness we have plugged ourselves so hard uh, <laughs> 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 our very own who back when branded audiobook is coming very very soon it will be a can we say this it will be a four-parter that's what we're aiming for. That is what we're aiming for. It will have, hopefully, a cast of six or seven people who you've already heard on the show. All of whom will be portraying multiple characters. Yep. And it's going to be very nearly a full reunion. <laughs> very nearly. Very, very nearly. nearly. Yeah. So basically, the next Audio Who will not be a review, it will be ours! That's right. Oh my, I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> and at the time of recording this, we haven't even finished the script. <laughs> We're 88% there. Yeah, yeah. We're a weekend away from finishing it. We're five good witticisms <laughs> away from finishing it. <laughs> good ones. Bing bong, this is future Leon. And future Drew Backwen. Hello, future Drew Backwen. Bing bong. At the time of recording the episode that you just listened to, uh, we had not revealed the title. We did not know when it was dropping. But do we know that now, Drew Backwen? Yes, and so do most people. But let's confirm it for them. What's it called again? It's called Operation Pandarica. That's right. <laughs> it's a four-parter, and part one is dropping on the 16th of... September. That's right, that's a month. Soon to be followed by parts two, three, and four. Yes, conventional, we know, but we still think you're going to enjoy it. Mark your calendars. Pencil it into your file of facts. And your earballs will be itching, and we shall oblige them in short order thereafter. Oh my goodness. All this in one take, Drew, back when... High five! Bing bong. Boom. In the meantime, please feel free to reach out to us and tell us what you think. Drew, people can reach out to you at... Yeah, you can give me a tweety boost at Drew Backwen. <laughs> Excellent branding. You can tweet at me as well. Uh, I am at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. Thank you again for listening. You've been a wonderful audience. Until the next time, be rad and excellent to each other. Rock on and cha-chao. Bye-bye. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?